When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. He's Ari Wasserman. Today, we have a special guest, Max Olson from The Athletic. Max, first of all, good afternoon, good morning. I was going to introduce you, but I don't even know your title. Senior college football writer, uh, transfer portal dude. How about just badass? Sure. Sure. Eh, I'll take badass. That's fine. That's fine. You know, it's an honor to be on here. Um, I listen to a a lot of Ari podcasts, but Ari and I never get to do podcasts together. So... This is uh, Are we gonna spar? great to see your smiling face, buddy. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Although, well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Don't I'm, for I'm you know. to be here. It's an experience doing a podcast with Ari. If we don't get out of this uh, podcast without me and you arguing about who has a higher ceiling, Oklahoma or Texas, then yeah. it was a fail. And I mean, I listened to the Grace one. I, I know he's going to try and make me cry. I don't know what he's going to try and hit me with, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. Hopefully, we won't see his feet. Like we're hopefully just in the middle of podcast, and Grace one. just said, "Grace said, are those Ari's feet?" Yeah. Right well, I'll do my best to not insult the <laughs> listeners too. Um, yeah. Keep your body parts. Off as the long as we don't talk about Texas A and M cheating, like I'll, I'll be able to make it through without profanity. Oh, let's um, let's go there. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, not to to ruin the the parade of of, of grab ass before we get into this. But like <laughs> Max is really really well connected in the Big Twelve. Um, is super knowledgeable about a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today. Mitch, I'll let you you know kind of take us through that. But I'm super excited to hear your takes on a lot of these things because I do think that um, a lot of the programs, at least in Texas and in the Big Twelve or the former Big Twelve are at interesting crossroads. Probably the most interesting crossroads they've had in years. So it's going to be a fun talk. Well, you sent me which ones you wanted to talk about, and it's mostly the Texas schools. So I assume you asked Sam to be on the podcast, and Sam was busy, and I'm, I'm kind of the fill-in. But I'm happy to try and pretend to think about what what would Sam say in these situations, and I'll try, I'll try to you know fake my way through it here. Well, we actually just we'll recorded have... the same podcast with Sam, and we're going to just decide which one's better. And then we're going to we're <laughs> going gonna to with... cut together the best of from. Well, the two. I, yeah, yeah. it's funny actually. I have tweaked some of those questions. This might have to be part one with Max because there's so many things uh, that's okay. we want to talk about. We got we have a long off season too. We're going to do this every week. So, fellas, we... I'm, and I'm and I'm happy to do like the the two hour transfer portal podcast sometime too. I mean, we can yeah. we can go there at some point. Nobody too. knows yeah. the transfer portal better than Max Olson. No doubt. And we're going to get into a story he had today. Uh, Before we get into some specific questions for Max, just some uh, news and notes. Signing day next Wednesday, the February signing day. I think technically it's still called National Signing Day, but we know the real one is in December. We now have five five five-stars who have not announced. We had four, but Harold Perkins decommitted from Texas A&M. Now it looks like Florida-LSU battle. Very tight with Corey Raymond, the defensive backs coach who's at Florida, who was at LSU. He's number seven nationally. Number nine, Shamar Stewart, defensive lineman from Florida. Was at Georgia last week. Looks like a Georgia-Miami A&M battle there. Uh, Number 10, Devin Campbell, offensive lineman from Arlington, Texas. Uh, You guys correct me if I'm wrong. I've seen Texas and OU, but it looks like a Texas would be a surprise if he doesn't go to Texas. Uh, I think Ari might be at that signing next week. And then Josh Conerly, junior, number 23, offensive lineman from Seattle. 
Uh, many teams still involved. He said he will not sign next week. This thing's going to go into March or later. Could be Michigan. Uh, I know Washington would love to get in there. Probably too much to ask for that new staff. Then one other top 100 player. Um, number 36, Jacoby Matthews, a safety from Louisiana, LSU, Florida um, battle as well there. Um, one big commitment. There were some some three-star commitments, but one big commitment that kind of made national headlines in Max Jackson Arnold, number 72 overall in the 2023 class, committed to Oklahoma. Both you guys chime in. To me, this is just a, a huge get for that new staff there to go into Texas. I believe he's the number one quarterback in the state of Texas. Still a long way to go to next signing day. But after what the up, recruiting upheaval at Oklahoma, really nice get for that staff. I think that we are <clears> – <throat> this QB cycle is going to be fun. This, this next one is going to be fun to follow because um, I have to think there are a lot of schools that are in the Arch Manning race – and not sure should we still be in the Arch Manning race, right? Like it is like when when players like Jackson Arnold are out there, um, and I'm sure it's very tempting to some of these schools to to you know maybe 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 we should give up. Maybe we're not going to win this one, and we might miss on some really good ones out there because we're hanging in there. So the sooner uh, Arch Manning commits, the better probably for some of these schools and kind of figuring out. Uh, what direction they're going to go. But, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. Really good pickup for Oklahoma. And uh, certainly Jeff Levy and getting there moved fast in terms of figuring out what kind of player he wants to uh, operate his offense. Yeah, there's a really interesting point that I really didn't think about, Max, is, you know, Arch Manning's name is just gold, right? And, I, and I'm and i not much of a talent evaluator. I can't sit down and watch the 247 or huddle highlight tapes and go, wow, this person's got, you know, transcendent hips or his footwork is elite or his arm strength – you know, the, the, the folks over at 247 and the guys who spent a lot of time breaking this down at the Elite 11 and stuff are truly gifted in their own craft. But the question I have more than anything, I guess, and, and maybe you don't even have the answer because I don't know who does, but like how much better or how much separation is there with Arch Manning from, you know, a guy like Malachi Nelson or uh, who's that stud out of Detroit? Um, Dante Moore. Dante Moore that just is picking mm -hmm. up Georgia off the other day. Um I wonder, like, or even a Quinn Ewers type player, like, is Arch Manning a transcendent specimen of an athlete as a result of his skill set, or do you think that there's some um, extra juice or or hype around his name because of his name? Yeah, and and in recruiting, you guys know too. Sometimes it's also about like who else you can get because you have Arch Manning in your class, mm -hmm. you know. And so, like, if 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 you can get him, and and yeah, maybe there are people who are in your evaluation just as good. Um, but maybe if Arch, Arch Manning gives you the juice to go chase a top, you know, a top top three or a number one class, then I could see that kind of being an added factor to it. But think about last summer, Ari. I mean, when you when you go out to Elite 11, like, you know, today or, or this week, I, I believe uh, on three decided that, that they they believe Devin Brown is the best player in this class, right? When you're at Elite Eleven, you're you're watching Quinn Ewers and comparing him to the guys in that group. Like, I I, I suppose there's probably like uh, you know a long year here in terms of seeing will there be guys that rise up in terms of perception to his level. Um, you know when when you kind of put Arch Manning head to head with some of these guys. Yeah, and what's crazy about Arch Manning is, and I don't know what Quinn Quinn Ewers' rating all got messed up because he reclassified, um, and I don't even know if they reevaluated him in terms of where he belonged in the twenty. I think he's still kind of a one in there because like Arch Manning he dipped down. He did. Quinn was a one Then he dipped down by one thousand whatever. Because if somebody if somebody up. removed him 
uh, from the number one spot because of the reclassification that could happen. Uh, but Arch Manning isn't a unanimous number one overall player, according to all the services, based on his 9.999 rating. And it's like funny that you mentioned that, Max, because... Um, you well, know, you remember last summer, I mean, you, you could have the debate about, okay, would you rather have Quinn Ewers or Drew Aller, right? And you could still have that debate. I mean, it, it doesn't... Yeah. I'm not saying... I, I don't know... I guess we'll see, but I don't know that Arch is like many tiers ahead of the rest of the guys out there, Malachi Nelson and the rest of them. And the thing that you come to learn, too, and I'm sure you've been to the Elite 11, um, but all those guys are really, really good. And, yeah, and quarterbacks yeah. uh, in general, based on these, and Antonio Morales wrote a really good story about how much money a lot of these families are sinking into personal quarterback coaches. The amount of time and effort and training, both from a weights and, and you know endurance standpoint, and also just like, how much goes into mechanics and pocket awareness and all the things that these kids are doing now they weren't doing 10 years ago. So a lot of these prospects are far more advanced than they were, you know, during that time frame. And that's why I think there's a expectation from a lot of these kids that they're going to play earlier than they would in the past. And like, when you look at Arch Manning, I think it's an interesting thought of just like, if Ole Miss could figure out a way to get him, what does that mean for Ole Miss's recruiting overall? But when you look at like the schools that are involved or, or truly involved, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Texas. I mean, these are all schools that are recruiting classes that should be finishing in the top five anyway. So the question that I have, and I didn't see this podcast going in this direction, but I think it's a good one, um, is recruiting is, is, is time. You know, time is currency. And if Arch Manning's recruitment is going to be one of the most high-profile recruitments of all time, and it's going to take a long time, and he's going to take five official visits, and this is going to be a drama all the way to signing day next year. If you're a Georgia, or, 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 or even if he commits in the spring, but you've got to fight to hold on. Gotta, to exactly. Is it worth the currency or the time and the resources to try to sign him? Uh, especially when a lot of these schools, I think all all outside of Ole Miss, um, who might get Jackson Dart, they've all signed top 100 quarterbacks in the recent past anyway. So like, is it worth the, 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 uh, the buy-in that you have to have from your recruiting department in order to do that? Um, I think it's, it's more important. He is more important to Ole Miss than the other schools. Yeah. And if you're Ole Miss, you do everything you can. Yeah. Right. And I think next, next on the list is Texas just for perception with what's going on at A&M. If Sark could land Arch Manning, I think that makes a huge statement, but are you make, you know, at Georgia, sure, Georgia wants him. He could have a great career there. But if Georgia doesn't get Arch Manning, I don't think we change our opinion of the Georgia program. We don't change our opinion of Kirby Smart, the recruiter, or Alabama. Yeah, it's funny, I, too. He's like a six foot four, 215-pound athlete who's dunking in front of Nick Saban. So, like, I'm not trying to act like this guy isn't a transcendent talent. Um, but, yeah, certainly would mean more. To, but I think this would be an interesting debate, too, and I love – you know, ruffling feathers on podcast. What do you think would be a bigger splash for Texas? Landing Arch Manning or getting Quinn Ewers a transfer back? Well, I mean, look, the, those guys would still have to compete, right? If, if you if you got, uh, but what would be I the mean, bigger statement though? The time what would be the bigger statement? Arch Manning, I think. Arch Quinn Ewers is from his backyard. He was committed there. Arch and Arch Manning helps you get Ruben Owens and these other yeah. kind of elite mm-hmm. guys in this next class. I, I would I would think. Um, yeah. I, I want to bring it to, back to Jackson Arnold for a second, though, because I, I it, it is worth pointing out. So when Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma, you remember one of the first ripple effects of that was like all of their top 2023 guys decommitted. Sure. I do think it's important. Um, I, I'm, I'm very interested. I'm sure you guys are, too, in terms of seeing kind of like like Lincoln Riley was extremely intentional about how he branded Oklahoma. And I am curious to see what direction uh, Brent Venables and his staff kind of want to take this. But 
I, I'm sure that it is still important that they, among recruits and, and you know, in general, I, I'm sure they still want to be perceived as we are one of the destinations for the best quarterbacks in the country. So well, to get to a guy be. like Jackson Arnold, I, I think no matter what you want to be, I think you still want Oklahoma to, to be one of those places that we're getting the best quarterbacks, we're turning them into draft picks. So to lock up a guy like this early, I think, is really important. You know, I think I, the I, idea of Oklahoma and like the way you would view them in the future it's like, oh my God, how is this te- this program ever going to recover from losing the young, handsome quarterback guru that went out to USC is going to become even more of a sexier figure based on just where you are. And it's like, oh, you mean by getting a defensive-minded head coach who is really awesome um, at designing some of the best defenses in the country without recruiting the most amazing classes you've ever seen, while also maintaining the ability to get top-tier talent at quarterback. Like, that could be the the thing. Like, we could look back at this in five years and go, oh, the best thing that ever ever happened to Oklahoma in, in a conference that, um, you know, hasn't been known for defense and a, and a program that didn't play defense very well at all, even when they were making the playoff, was getting a guy in there that could fix the defense up while also maintaining that offensive prowess. So, like, you know, I think that's a really easy thing to just say in a vacuum right now. And, like, executing that would be very, very hard because, um, you know, it's just not easy to pull in the amount of talent that Oklahoma has at that position. But the fact they were able to get a top 100 player, and he was one of the first 10 commitments that Venables got at Oklahoma, I think is a huge statement and, like, super encouraging if you're an Oklahoma fan. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, I want to um, transition to the other end of the quarterback spectrum. Then i got a theory that shoot down if it doesn't make sense. But one of the more, and I want to tie this into your story today, Max, uh, on Cameron Ward. One of the more intriguing commits recently, Max Brown, quarterback from Tulsa, um, had been committed to Central Michigan since July, I believe, just committed to Florida, uh, ranked number 1728 in the 247 composite. Recently got an offer from Washington as well, and then one other P5 school. But this isn't like an Andrew Paul situation, the running back, Ari, that you wrote about uh, a few weeks ago that the offer started to pour in about six weeks ago and he's getting offers from everyone. Like, nothing happened for Max Brown basically from his Central Michigan commitment until the last few weeks. So obviously Florida saw something in him. Washington saw something in him. Another guy we talked about a couple weeks ago, Max, I don't know if you saw Christian Kippel's story about a month ago on Joshua Wood, a quarterback from Seattle uh, mm-hmm. who had a great senior season, threw for a ton of yards, had been committed to Eastern Washington, had no FCA, FBS offers, just committed to Fresno State the other day. His dad played at Washington State, didn't have an offer. Here's another so, – so here's two late-rising guys. Has the fact that most schools only take one quarterback now and they're, they're, they line up so early to get these guys, you, like, you almost have to have your quarterback over the summer or else you're behind the eight ball – our team's not evaluating these fast-rising seniors anymore. Like Ari and I talked about this, this, this Joshua Wood dude threw for a ton of yards. How's Washington State not offering? How aren't these? Why aren't these schools offering them? And maybe they just slipped through the cracks. But I just find it fascinating that the two guys like this 
can come out of nowhere this late in the process. Does that theory make any sense at all? Yeah, I, I think that – and I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here. Um, sure. Because I, I agree that the, I think the folks in the recruiting industry do a very good job and, and, you know, sort of history is held up that, like, you know, overall it, what they're trying to do in terms of ranking the best players in the country, they do a very good job. Overall stars I, matter, right, Max? I, well, we'll talk about Cam Ward who had no stars. But, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I think – so I think that one, one thing I've observed in, in doing this for a while – and I, it's not really a criticism because I think this is not like a necessarily a massive flaw. I don't really think the recruiting industry is set up to really evaluate those guys that have phenomenal senior seasons. I don't. I don't really yep. think that that's how. Like I think that especially because of the expectation now with with you know twenty four seven and all these sites is that you need to be several classes ahead, right? You need to already have right. here's the top one hundred players of twenty twenty five. So. I think that um, like you, the they're they're very good at, at evaluating the guys that um, you know go to camps and and go to you know lead eleven and opening and all those kind of things, and I think they they do a very very good job. But I think there are going to be, especially with the way the portal is now, I think there are going to be those kind of late risers um, that you know the the ranking just doesn't really catch up to 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 where they really are and. Maybe even the offers don't either, especially with, with how many schools are just trying to fill up their, their spots now with transfers instead of these kind of late guys. I think that there is an opportunity there. Um, you know, And we'll see. Like if, if, Taking a, a three-star kid out of Tulsa who's the number 30 recruit in the state of Oklahoma, is that a better move in terms of like a, a, a long-term play than just taking a, a quarterback out of the portal? Like I think that's the decision that a lot of these staffs are having to make right now. Yeah, yeah I, think I think a lot of things, too. Because there just aren't too, that many QBs out there. In these right? scenarios, too, you have to decipher like what the staff is doing. Because I think as a, uh, as a fan, you look at a recruit and you look at his rating, but every single commitment that your favorite team gets, you want to you tell yourself, you know, the Florida coaching staff believes that this kid is going to turn out to be a Heisman finalist in three years. They see something in this kid that ranks 1,700 in the country Jeff that nobody else seen. You know, But the fact of the matter is is sometimes you just take a kid because you need a body in your quarterback room. So right. like, it's not always – and I'm not saying – actually – And maybe the kid just – he came to your camp and you think he's pretty good. You don't yeah, think he's a stud, think he'll serve his you, purpose. you want a guy. Yeah, yeah you need right. a guy. So like, you, it's not always so cut and dry of just like every single person that – a, a SEC school takes that's out of the top 1,000 as a mad scientist. It's it's a guy that they might need a body for, and it's funny because I actually have been DMing Max Brown the last few days trying to get him on the phone, and um, he he told me that he was going to call me on Tuesday night, and then he never called me, and it, it turned out that he committed to Florida. So that's life in the recruiting world. But here's Central the, Michigan recruits call Ari back, but Florida commits don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I, I so, made Kyle Trask before. I don't know why I said Jeff. You know Trask the one thing. Yeah, yeah, Kyle Trask. Yeah. The Kyle one Trask, the yeah, one thing right. that I wanted to say though that I I wanted to piggyback on because the thing that Max said was super interesting. And I'm really happy you're on the show, Max, because you're really, really good. Do I say anything that's super interesting, Ari? Oh, some irritating. It's another yeah, I super word. Irritating. Yeah. You hear that, Mitch? I'm gunning for your spot. Let's go, Ari. Um, Let's go. But the, the, the idea of how the one criticism of the recruiting services that you might have is that by the time February comes, they're already on to the next class. It's always about being a few years ahead, and I think that's interesting. My, my argument is that by like September, October, they're probably on. They're to already the classes. yeah. Like, and why why re-rate the class in the seventeen hundreds? I'm not saying they're wrong to do that at yeah. all, but but there's probably going to be some players that slip through the cracks. But to to piggyback on that statement or that thought, the one criticism that I've already always had, or the one thing that I've wondered about, is a lot of times the recruiting rankings are predicated on just pure athleticism. You see the spark scores and the way that these guys perform at camps. 
And like, trust me, I'm all athlete. If you're physically able to do something that other people can't do, then that's something that should be celebrated and, and ranked accordingly. But I do think that maybe even at the quarterback position more so than others, there are other aspects of what goes into the, the ranking other than pure athleticism. So like I've never watched the Max Brown's film, but if he's rated 1700, I don't know well, if that why means would you? he wouldn't get back to you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. He big, no, he actually got back to me today. So I'm going to try to write a story okay. about his recruitment okay. anyway. But I do think that if you are too heavy on just athlete, athlete, athlete all the time, that's not the complete picture of how to rate a football player. So, to me, I think that, that that hits the mark most of the time. If there's a crazy left ta- like athlete left tackle who can, you know, jump on a bunch of boxes the way that Evan Neal did and do like do the splits in midair, like, yeah, that dude's a five star. I don't care what he does on the football field. But if it's if it's a late riser who had a great senior season, um, and that might not be as athletic as a guy like Caleb Williams, for instance, who was a five-star prospect the second he came out of the womb. Like that's that doesn't mean that this guy's not going to be any good. So, like to me, the quarterback evaluation process more than any other position is super fascinating. But by the way, the, from from a recruiting standpoint, um, if you if you have a guy like Andrew Paul that you think is a stud. You don't want the recruiting industry to find out about him. You don't want all these other schools to offer him. I, I, you, and, and that's harder to do, right? It's hard because kids tweet all their offers. So it is harder to keep the, these kind of players under the radar. But, like, I'm sure Florida, if, they, if, if the staff there likes Max Brown, they're glad that he's 1,739 in the rankings because they don't want all these schools coming on him at the last minute here before signing day. Yeah, B- Bill Landis is actually working on a story on that, the first offer about the the tenuous nature you know with a lot of power uh group of five schools they've got their guy they don't want anyone to know about it the second they offer him you know i got a cincinnati offer i got a you know if it's a mac school i got a kent state offer then then people start looking them up and and that's what happens so i want to transition to cameron ward i know this is stars matter podcast is a recruiting podcast but hey cameron ward was just recruited uh from incarnate Ward to um washington state fascinating story i knew a little bit about him uh, Max, but can't say I knew his whole backstory. He read it this morning. He go, kind of goes what we said before. How's this guy a no-star quarterback in the state of Texas? It's not like he was in Casper, Wyoming, where recruiters don't go. Uh, so kind of fill us in, tease that story you did for us today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, and he, and now if you look at the 24-7 rankings, he's a, he's a four-star guy. He's a 93. So that's it's funny watching. Um, that I, I'm always interested to see how the industry is kind of catching up to the portal and, and trying to evaluate these guys again because I do think that's going to be important here for the future, especially with these class rankings and stuff. But uh, Cameron Ward is a guy who um, very, very talented player. He had the measurables, um, 6'3", 230 in, in high school. A little bit smaller high school, but the, the, the problem for him in terms of like getting notice and getting recognition is that at, at his high school, um, at Columbia High School, um, they run the, the classic wing tee, and he, he just hands the ball off or pitches the ball. He only threw the ball on average 12 times a game over his junior and senior season. He has a, a hell of an arm. He's got – the, the coaches that have worked with him say they, he has some of the best arm talent they've ever seen. You didn't get to see it in high school because of the system he was playing in. And because of that, you don't have a whole lot of on a lot of proof of what you can be, um, you know, in terms of your huddle and your film. And so he would go to camps and, you know, he, he was a guy that, that wasn't ranked. But, um, you know, he would try and go and impress these coaches at, 
uh, A&M in Texas and, and even the FCS camps around Texas and, and nobody was willing to offer. And, uh, you know, even incarnate word, they had, they got him in their camp. They thought, man, he, he's throwing 90 mile per hour fastballs and looked incredible, but, uh, you know, lo- looks a little pudgy. Don't know if he can move right and stuff didn't offer. And that's just one of those guys that, um, you know, that eventually, uh, you know, Incarnate Word decided, all right, other people don't want to come here, so we're going to take Cameron Ward out of Columbia, even though we feel like it's super risky. And this is a kid that, obviously, when you go through that, you're super, super motivated. And this is a kid that got to Incarnate Word who already had an FCS All-America quarterback. Uh, and within three months, he won the starting job. Um, and, you know, part of that was the COVID season got canceled. He, he got to go through extra fall camps, you know, last fall. But he gets there, and within three months, they're like, this this is the guy we're building the whole thing around. And um, he went out and put up monster numbers for, for in the spring and the fall of 2021. And uh, when his coach decided to – uh, you know, his coach Eric Morris went, went, you know, and left to become the OC at Washington State. He put his name in the portal and uh, had Lane Kiffin coming after him, had lots of schools, West Virginia, Houston, all them wanting to get him on campus. And uh, ultimately is going to Washington State uh, with his OC to, you know, kind of try and do the thing we saw at Western Kentucky this year. And I think this is a kid that unless you have like ESPN Plus, you've never watched the kid play, right? You, you don't, we're, we're not catching FCS games on TV very often except for the championship. So um, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I, I'm sure people haven't really heard about, but uh, has a chance, I think, to be a really exciting player to watch um, this fall. And, and, and they're going to try and build, you know, the highest scoring offense in the Pac-12 there. Um, Cam Ward's a guy people probably have never heard of or never seen, but uh, I think he has a chance to, to be a pretty big deal this fall. One, one of the uh, great story anecdotes in the uh, uh, story, I guess he was on an official visit to Liberty uh, mm-hmm. with Hugh Freeze, and then Lane Kiffin reached out and wanted to go visit Ole Miss, and he had to tell Hugh Freeze that he wanted to leave his <laughs> official visit at Liberty early to go to Ole Miss it's a obviously. ballsy move, right? Yeah, Saying, obviously. Hey, hey, you. <laughs> and can, I, can I leave a day early to go see Ole Miss? <laughs> and I, maybe he was just being nice to Hugh Freeze, or maybe it was, it was your words. I don't know if it was Cam's words or his family, but they said basically Hugh Freeze, he gets it. You know, yeah, he, he said he. What I was told is he was like, yeah, I understand. You got to make the best decision for you. You got to see, you know, it's a special place. You got to go see it. So he was he was surprisingly nice about it. And I'm sure when you're at a place like Liberty too, and and suddenly Ole Miss is going to offer, you're like, okay, There's only so much well, you can do, yeah. Right. This this was fun, but we know you're going to get some big offers now. Yeah, I think most coaches know their spot on the college football food chain. They try to punch above their weight, but they know they know who they have, and if someone else comes calling, that they they're they're probably not going to get a guy. Art, you know, do you want it, to chime in? I, I, does the one thing that that occurs to me is, um, and I think I've talked to you about this and tried to actually write a story about this. Patrick Mahomes was a zero star recruit, right? Uh, Sorry, not Patrick Mahomes. Baker Mayfield? No, Trey Lance. Okay. And Trey Lance was from Minnesota. Sorry, been watching the NFL playoffs like everybody else. Forgive me. Um, But Trey Lance was from an area of the country, Minnesota, where there's not a lot of of, um, tape on him. And, you know, there's certain certain circumstances. Wow. It's not my best minute of podcasting, is it? Good thing you're not on, like, five podcasts a day. Uh, Yeah, I know. To learn how to speak. Yeah. but he didn't get any offers from like a power five school or, or anybody in the big 10, despite the fact that he was this big prospect with a monster arm who, you know, illustrated all of the things that somebody could have as, like, as a lottery ticket. And it always strikes me as interesting that some of these power five schools don't have like a designated extra three spots 
um, or two spots, maybe even per class, which I know adds up over a four year period to take a flyer on a guy. Oh God. If, if I was a college coach, I would take so many flyers. It would be like, yeah, completely, you're the totally type of person who exactly. like wants to that, buy a penny you know? stock and hope it goes through the moon. And if you buy yeah, yeah. 15 of them, then one goes to the moon. You made a lot of money. And then the other 14, if they can't play, they'll transfer out of your program anyway. It's, and it's like, like to me, sorry. it's like, it's like how did Minnesota not offer that guy? Right, sure. with jo- and it's funny because we talked about Cameron Ward going to Washington State, but Ari and I talked about it last week, like that Joshua Wood kid. His dad went to Washington State. Like, why wouldn't Washington State take a flyer on him? He's going to Fresno State to play for Jeff Tedford. He's probably going to throw for like 4,000 yards a season, or maybe we'll never hear from him again. But I agree on the flyer point. But it's At the like quarterback position especially, because if you hit – if your hit, dad went to that your... school, yeah. why wouldn't you? It's like you've got an in with the kids. So, well, um, in, in the case of Cameron Ward too, like, um, you know, one thing that's tough now is like if a kid like that, it's almost like you need someone at like 24-7 who's vouching for you, right? Like you, pro- you almost need like the people in the recruiting industry to notice you to even kind of get your name out there. Um, and A&M did like him. Uh, you know, Daryl Dickey, their OC, did, did see some potential there, but – would have taken him as a walk-on, but 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 wasn't going to offer a scholarship. But a, a kid like Cameron Ward, like, and he's only got one offer, so he took it. It was that or go JUCO. But um, it, like, go to the place that lets you throw the ball fifty times. You know, yeah. like go go, especially now with the way that uh, you know the portal can almost kind of be that uh, you know that escalator that takes you up to the next level. Like I, you know, like go to the place where you can go put up numbers and and prove what you can do, as opposed to. You know, oh man, if things had worked out, maybe you could have been the walk on at A and M. Like you're never going to get to see the field and do anything. The thing that I think about, like, though, ba- is I always he- think that about Baker Mayfield. Like Baker Mayfield was always his chip on his shoulder came from like nobody wanting him, right? If he'd been like the backup at Texas, like, or, or, or if he'd walked on at Texas, if they'd taken him, like, would they ever let him play? Like, probably not. And he doesn't end up where he is. Like, sometimes you have to be grateful that that it kind of sometimes things do work out. Uh, you know, every, everything happens for a reason. Let's say Ward goes to Washington State and breaks the Pac-12 passing record. Okay, let's just make this this fantasy land. How yep. many programs in Texas, Power 5 and not, are just like, how the heck do we miss this guy? And I guess it's very easy to have 20-20, you know, hindsight vision, right? Um, but there are so many places in Texas that could take a flyer on an athlete like this that, you know, he had to go to, to Incarnate Word and then now to Washington state to get a chance. And just like, what about Texas tech? And it's like, that's a thing that I think you wrote about max about McGuire, like his ability with the network of coaches and the high school coaching association and everything that he has, where he might be able to stumble upon those guys. And that's the kind of guy that, you know, frankly speaking, probably should be at Texas tech. Right. So, you know, or, or at least one of the G five schools. And what, what about a yeah, and M this year? So I know he's looking his whole career, but a and M looking at their roster, I know they've got Haynes King coming off an injury. They've got Max Johnson transferring it. They've got Connor Wegman. But wouldn't they like to have a ready-mate, a guy who's already played a full season of college football to plug in? Not saying he'd beat those guys out. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Yeah, it, But if it they're is struggling at quarterback this year and he's putting up monster numbers, there's going to be some A&M fans saying, why didn't we go after that guy? Yeah, it is interesting. that I mean, they did choose. They chose to take Max Johnson, and they didn't offer Cameron Ward. But it, 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 it's always funny. Like, it's just the evaluation game can be really tough. But Lane Kiffin – um, you know, I, I, they, like they run, they ran an air raid, you know, kind of a cliff style air raid at incarnate word. 
And uh, Lane Kiffin looked at the tape, and when Cameron Ward's on his visit, and this may just be recruiting fluff or whatever, but he told him, like, if you come here, and you, you had a little bit of work to put in, but if you come here, like, I think you're a first-round pick, you know? And it just depends on – you have to just kind of find that guy that sees not only do you fit what they do, but but can they – can will they – you know, can you find the school that will invest in you to turn you into what you can be? Um, you'd rather do that than, than just go be another guy at, at a program that uh, doesn't really need you. All right. I gave you a list of things I might I was going to ask you about, Max, but then I wanted to throw this at you. Nebraska recruiting. We talk about Nebraska a lot in this pod. Ari gets a lot of questions in his mailbag about Nebraska. I know it's a program you know very well. The, the common theory is that one thing that's hurt Nebraska in the modern era of recruiting with the calendar accelerated, guys committing sophomore, junior year, is they can't get kids on campus as much for – unofficial visits because of the location is that true is that not true do you have any theories about what not just did you say official or unofficial unofficial i meant unofficial visits because of the location what has hindered nebraska football the most football recruiting the most aside from the off on the field product not being what it could be or should be and maybe that's too simple of an answer just say be better football we don't we don't have enough time to get into all Should I this. lay down? We're, we really don't. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, no, I, I came up with all these questions. I was like, wait, I didn't ask Max about Nebraska. So, all right, I'm leaning I, back. I Ari, think relax. That, Go ahead. I think that um, – so, like, one thing I've noticed recently was, like, their, so their, their staff, like everybody else's right now, is, is going out on the road, and they're, they're hitting up all the schools in their region, and they're making a ton of offers, right, hundreds of offers. And – that staff's like in, in year five. And I'm wondering like, how, how have you not already offered like the best juniors in your region yet? You know? And I know that they just hired a new, you know, new offensive staff and that's part of it. Sometimes the, the offer stuff, the board gets shaken up when you bring in new coaches and you don't know if you want to honor your past offers and stuff like that. But like, if you look at literally all of the programs in the Midwest here um, that are, that are, and, and a lot of them are successful right now, like you have to be, really good at evaluating and you have to be really good at developing. Nebraska is doing a terrible job at developing and you can look at the draft stuff. You can look at the attrition they've had and all that. I mean, they've, they've had some good players, but overall in terms of the 85, it hasn't been great these past few years and the evaluating part, it, it, I don't, I kind of don't totally understand what the identity is that they're going for there. Um, Because especially early on that staff was, uh, you know, among the national leaders in terms of handing out offers, they're casting a super, super wide net. And I, I, I do wonder like what strategy and identity they've actually kind of, they're, they're actually going to kind of head towards here because, you know, there, there's kind of like no excuses. Now you've been there a long time. It's not an instability thing. Like you've had a, you've had a chance to figure out how you want to attack this job. And Scott Frost, you hire him because he, you know, he's the guy that walks in and says, I know all the answers to how to be successful at this place. So that part of it, I don't totally get. I know people point to the, like the, Oh, they took all these guys out of Miami and then all those guys left in a year. Um, you know, that, that was, that was a bust. Obviously there's things like that, that you try and do, but like, I think overall, um, I'm a little surprised they just haven't been a better program in terms of evaluation and development um, over the this tenure so far, and especially when you just see so many other coaches in this region doing it better. Um, and uh, I, I don't quite know what the answer is. And, and then, of course, the longer you lose, and, and they've sustained losing here now for this, this whole tenure, um, you know, I think when coaches, like, walk into a high school, 
wearing that logo, I, I kind of wonder, does it mean as much now as it did a decade ago? Or uh, It certainly doesn't matter as much as it did two decades ago, but does it matter as much as it did five, ten years ago? Like, I think that that's kind of the cost to being, you know, mediocre. And they weren't mediocre under Polini, but, like, that's kind of the cost here. The longer that they don't get this figured out is, like, why would why would kids care? Here's, is, there any validi- on, is there any validity to the uh, unofficial visit thing? Do they struggle to get as many kids on um, campus? I don't know about that. I, I don't think that that's like a, some big glaring thing. I, I, I honestly would – I do kind of like subscribe to the theory, and I've heard it from people that used to work on that staff that, you know, the, the post-Big 12 thing was hard. Like losing losing the footing you had in, in Texas and that region was hard, you know, and, 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 and that's part of where – you got to figure out how do we, you know, especially relative to your division and your conference, like how do we do do this better than other people? And I think that's, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's it's just really tough. And there's there's lots of different ways you could look at what does Nebraska need to be. You know, they are taking a lot of players out of the portal right now, and you can make an argument for that's how they improve their roster is just, you know, try and do this again, take 10 more players out of the portal next year. But um, it, it's it's – I don't want to say it's baffling, but it, it, I do find it a little bit confusing. Like how, and and yet they still the classes still end up in the, you know they've they've had some top twenty five classes and stuff, so it's not horrible. But you you have to look at the results and say what's wrong here. Deep breath. Um, one, Nebraska's had a top twenty five class every single year, dating back to twenty sixteen, and twenty sixteen was number twenty six. So like when it comes to actually getting prospects, they have been getting prospects that are rated pretty high so i think the question is you know and like I, the I'm, raw materials you, you look at that consistently and say like okay they, they, they should, should be, pretty be good. at least competitive enough to be in the big 10 west picture <clears throat> because it's not like i mean wisconsin who's owned the big 10 west just signed their first top 25 class ever in the 2021 cycle and then went back to 2022 was in the 50s somewhere so it's not like the teams are competing directly against our recruiting at a level that they can't match so the question that i have is is the evaluation wrong and then the other you know piece of the puzzle here and the thing is like we could talk about this for the next hour and a half but there are no players in the state of nebraska and the players that are there you have other um programs in the states surrounding nebraska offering those kids when they're freshmen or or sophomores even if they've got no it's the whole uncommittable offer thing and then those kids who don't realize that they can't commit to those you know the iowa state offers and the other offers that are coming in in the region um feel disrespected by nebraska and it puts nebraska in a bad spot because if they start offering kids when they're freshmen and sophomores the way they absolutely have to so they don't miss out on the the rare top 200 player that comes out of their state then they don't want to end up having to take a bunch of kids because you can't burn Nebraska offers. So I kind of like feel a little bad about the position that they're in because I don't know how do you how you navigate that. I should also point out, like, agree that, that there's just not <clears throat> you as much as you want to have a, a, a really vibrant walk-on program and you want to build this thing with in-state players. Um, it, it's worth pointing out, and and maybe it's a one-year aberration and they can fix this with this new staff, you know, the, this uh, revamped staff, but. Last year was a really good year in Omaha. They had four power five guys in Omaha, and those guys went to Oregon, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Auburn. So is that a one-class thing, or is there – because because you should at least be able to own the guys in your backyard. Like 20 right? years I mean, ago, should, that 25 years ago, that unthinkable. Right? And it wouldn't happen, right? Oregon wouldn't come to Nebraska and take a linebacker 20 years ago. But that's that's how it is now, and kids – 
want to go want to go other places and and I get why they do. I mean, I moved to Austin, Texas when I got out of college and I mean, I you know, I I, I get wanting to see a different part of the country, but um yeah, I mean, you 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 at least need to like get those kids. But if you have no players in your state and then you and then when you do, you lose them, you are forced to recruit nationally in a world where everybody's recruiting nationally now and it's just harder to do that. And I don't know that the the Nebraska logo is something that um resonates well with players that aren't even in the region and maybe not even in the region at all. So like the question that I have for Nebraska is, you know, a, are they recruiting well enough from a results standpoint in the rankings to win the big 10 West? I think you would argue if they are. So despite all these things that we just outlined, they still are signing top 25 classes, which is super impressive. So yet when they line up against Illinois and Purdue, they don't, they don't look like they're the much more talented team. So, so there's a so disconnect they, there. So are the players that they're signing just misrated? Are their evaluations off? Well, a guy like Wandale Robinson was a great, <laughs> great talent. I mean, I remember yep. when he decommitted from Kentucky. I was like, wow, that's a tough blow for Mark Stoops and that staff. In-state kid, that's the type of kid Kentucky needs to get. And, oh, wow, perfect fit for Scott Frost, what he's going to do there. And then he comes back, has a great junior year at Kentucky, and he's off to the NFL. And right. There's 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 a development and there's a usage part of that too. I mean, that goes beyond just oh well, they have top twenty five classes. Like yeah, you've got to, you know, you've got to get the right kids and you've got to figure out how to deploy them. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, what was uh, Tate Martell's teammate's name that they got? Tyjon Lindsay. Remember him? They had that Tyjon was a Lindsay. Yeah. Huge, huge recruiting get. Yeah. Um, and I think he was a top fifty player nationally, and he went there and and then flamed out and then went to Oregon State. And mm-hmm. I think that. If we did, it'd be like an interesting research case, and I think I don't even know if it's possible to do it. But I think the flame out rate at Nebraska is much higher than other places, where players who come in with a good rating or you know a good recruiting win don't materialize. And if you're winning all these recruiting battles and you're getting these kids out of Florida and then they transfer, you're getting the Tyjon Lindsays of the world and they they don't pan out. It's like at a certain point you got to start hitting on these guys too. And it's like we keep... talked about with Maryland. Too, well, Ari. all right. Yeah. So, and we'll 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 do we can do a whole podcast about this here in a month or so. Okay, but I I you know every year I do the recruiting re rank where you yes. go back and look at the recruiting class from four years ago and see how they panned out. Yeah, we, okay? we when that comes out we'll have you on right after. So that. I've gone through um, fifty classes so far in the tw- class of twenty eighteen um, in terms of just trying to figure out like. You, you, you do the top 25, right? So you have to go through a ton of classes just to feel like you, you've got the right top 25. I've gone through 50 of them. Nebraska is the worst of the 50. And that was true last year too, okay? And it's all attrition. I mean, it's pretty much all attrition is the reason for that. That's the thing that's got to stop. Like you've yeah. got to, even if you're getting top 25 classes. Like well, that's, that's the cool. answer there. you got to keep them and yeah. you got to develop them. Yeah, and that's what you yeah. said, Mitch, with Maryland. It's like Maryland has hit on these random five-star prospects on signing day the last few years. And like Brandon Jennings is already gone. And I mean, like they don't, they don't stay in the program. So it's, yeah, it's like we talk about with these, with these elite classes signing the, the volume of top 100. If you're signing eight to 10 top 100 guys a year, you can survive the three that that, that that don't pan out or transfer. When you're signing one top 100 guy or two a year, if one, doesn't pan out you're screwed you don't have that top end talent and 
Um, you know, that's clearly what, what, what what's hurting Nebraska. Um, so have we solved Nebraska recruiting here, Max? We- no, I, I'm excited to go back and, and <laughs> we, look we at, can we can go do that. Do the for amount a long of time work and, that goes and there's into there's the- different there's different. You know, you, you, I'm not saying I'm I'm speaking the truth here. Like there's different ways to perceive it and 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 counterpoint and all that stuff. It's it's a complicated one, but certainly you can't watch the results and say like. Like uh, that, that that what they're doing is working. So, w- winning you know, solves that, a lot of problems. If they break well, through, well, right. If, if they flip nine, all those, right. yeah, it, 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 that's yeah. right. And that, and that's how it is, right? Like so, that, if, that if, end if looks they flip a lot all better. the close losses yeah. to wins, yeah, then suddenly you'd say, oh, they're doing everything right. I'm that, fat because I eat, and I eat too. because I'm fat. You know, that's what that's that is, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, buddy. That end looks a lot better in a high school coming off a nine and three season than it does. Yeah, I just think it's like you need the talent to win. If you're not getting the talent, then you can't win. So, like, what are you gonna? do um but i mean of all the things that we just listed i'm sure it's either a combination of both or it's one of those things mitch we haven't talked about texas yet dude and we're 42 minutes into this thing and like i got i got the horns up i'm ready i'm ready Uh, let's get let's get them in texas i'm officially the host i like to steer the show i am deferring to you right now you 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 drag max down to hell or wherever you need to take him right now well, I actually like you know how I feel about Texas. I've been <laughs> burned by them more than anybody because like I I view them, and like I think USC is my new child too because like I view it as a place that's near talent that gets talent is sexy with the right person that could really do big things. And Texas never really does that for some reason. And I still like nobody can quantify why. Um, I think that it's like a Bermuda Triangle documentary of like you know what happens and there's theories of the administration goes one way and the other and the staff goes the other and all the things that everybody says. But I just want to know why. We're not going to get into that today because I don't. But my my point is is what for your from your standpoint like I know it's kind of been a rough cycle because A and M just signed will sign maybe one of the best classes of all time and a lot of that is mm-hmm. is Houston yep. is Houston area. Players and so with believe me, psychologically that is like important to Texas fans. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. a small thing. Does does the idea of Texas A and M's resurgence, or maybe not resurgence, or, or dominance in the Houston Emergence, area, yeah. how does that change what Texas's ceiling is in your mind? And like you know, they just signed a really good class, and Quinn Ewers should count in their class. He's the number one player in the country, and he's a quarterback. To me, he I view him as a part of Texas class. But like, are they doing enough? Is Sark getting it done on the recruiting trail? Even if they get Devin Campbell next week, um, is that class good enough, or is A and M just stealing all the shine right now? <laughs> so I, ha- I have a hot take for you on this. Um, I-, I will say, when you look at like the landscape here, it's 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 a really fascinating time. I think for in terms of like the direction of Texas recruiting, because um, you know you've got a regime change at Oklahoma. And, you know, Lincoln really had that thing rolling, had had all the like Dallas kids really wanting to go to OU. So it's going to be fascinating to see, can OU, are they a top five, a top 10, a top 15 recruiter? Kind of what's what's the consistency there under a new staff? Can Brian Kelly lock down the players in Louisiana or is it going to be open season in Louisiana? As I, as I sort of suspect, at least at the start here, um, you know, can Texas be the school that gets like Jameer Gibbs and Jermaine Burton, like, can they be the the school that like is getting the really premium portal players? They're certainly trying to this year and have picked up some good ones. Um, I think when it comes to A&M for, so first of all, like we, we we can, we have to acknowledge like the, the floor is like, is high here. Like you guys have seen now over three different staffs. Um, Texas can be bad on the field and sign top five classes. Like they just keep doing that. Okay. So my question is we're in a new era now. Like why, 
why shouldn't Texas just be building the best recruiting classes that money can buy? Like there, I, I, I see like no excuse. Like, and I'm, and I'm be, not being facetious. Like A&M's class if, should be Texas's class. I'm saying that it, I think Texas should go to war with A&M on the money front. I think I just think they should. I think that they should be, you know, if you're one of these, if you're this athletic department that's, you know, always number one, number two, number three in the country in terms of total revenue, like, shouldn't Texas be the school, not Georgia, shouldn't Texas be the school that spends more money than anything on recruiting, than, than anyone on recruiting? Like, shouldn't Texas be the school, like, if, if, if there's elite five-star kids that are trying to decide between, you know, Texas and Oklahoma and Texas A&M. Like, shouldn't the strongest offer they get be from Texas? Like, that's that's what I wonder well, let me, in terms let me, of, like, let me interject if here you want quick. to talk about, like, and I'm not saying that's the way that, that, I'm not saying that's the only way for Texas to be successful. But if, if like, I know Texas fans, like, I, I know the perception is, like, oh, A&M just, like, bought this incredible class. I don't want to hear that from Texas fans because Texas should just buy, like, Texas should raise. But when Texas you, when you be say best more, money, you know? the best class money can buy, are you saying yeah. from an administrative buy-in standpoint or an NIL standpoint? NIL standpoint. Okay, because like that's the thing that irritates the hell out of me. And if you listen to the show when I freaked out with Grace on it, just like if you're Texas or Ohio State or Georgia or Alabama, why are you complaining? Like you have the money, you have the you have all those things. So the question is, is that like is in your mind, Texas should be signing top three classes and not top five, not top seven, top three. Well, it's it's interesting because Texas, this is how high the, the floor is, right? That. Uh, you look at Texas 2022 class, they didn't get every, they certainly have not gotten every guy they've wanted. And, and a lot of really good ones have gone A&M and yet Texas still has a top five class, right? So mm-hmm. they, they are without, without counting Quinn, Quinn. Years, without Quinn years, without Quinn. Well, I, and I think if you put a years in, it's still top five, but, but yeah, no, I mean, totally like, so they're not winning every battle, certainly not in this, this cycle, but it's still a very, very good class relative to, you know, the national standard. So um, they're, they're not that far off. And, and I think one of the things that that uh, like one of the things that I think that the, the reason why Texas can be so inconsistent is so they if when they lose like a head to head with A&M for a guy like DeMarvin Leal, where like both staffs know like this is an NFL player, this is a first round pick kind of guy. Right. If, if Texas doesn't win those kind of head to heads for those super premium guys, then what they've done kind of over the over the past you know years or decade or however you want, however long you want to call it. Then they take the, the the guy they take instead is either overrated or they're region form, right? And so there's there's two ways to kind of like fix that. Either you know you start doing a better job about getting a head start on the guys that you think will be top 100 recruits, and and you know being you know investing three years into those kind of guys, and and just being the the school that wins all those, or um, you know and, and and evaluating three stars and all that, or you just be the highest bidder. Here's the thing I'm going to say about Texas's class this year. Top five is great as it pertains to the national average, right? Like the, the average school would cut their legs off to have this class. Sure. Yeah. Texas class only has three top 100 players in it. And right. one of them is Kelvin Banks, who should be at Oregon right now if Mario Cristobal didn't leave. And the other Terrence Brooks was like a miracle flip from Ohio State on, on the day that he signed. So like and to Quinn me, yours is sort of a miracle too. And, in and Quinn way. yours is is counts, and maybe they'll get Devin Campbell. I think that's the assumption here yeah. next week. So it might end up being if you include Campbell and yours in there five. It should be ten. It should be eleven. It should be twelve. Especially considering the fact that the state of Texas, Kelvin Banks is a five star recruit, and he is the uh, I think he's like the, the what is he 
The th- he's the third best player in the state of Texas, and there are ten top one hundred players in the entire class in that class. And to have five total is insane, especially considering the fact that Texas also has national pool. It's not just like Texas is only doing te- like Texas can go into right. California, can go into right. Arizona and Florida as as well as anybody else. And it's just like why are the uh, best players in the state of of Texas just not automatically defaulting to Texas the way that they used to? And you could say Oklahoma has been you know traditionally better. They're spending more time. A and M has has locked down the Houston area better than I could have ever imagined they could do it. And you know you have Alabama, which is a completely different discussion, but Alabama is ruining Texas and Florida by taking the best players out of those two States, you know, Louisiana's in Houston or LSU's in, in, in Houston, everybody's in Texas, but it just, even though it's a top five class and people might be able to get excited about it, it just feels like there's something off to me. Okay. Yeah, I and and I think that and I, and I, to be clear, like I don't want to take anything away from what A and M has done, and and I think you guys know it's it's obviously not just money. Like certainly, there is a, a legitimate belief that they're on the you know at the front door here that they're pretty close to being you know a national title contender, and and certainly as you guys know, um, elite recruits want to play with elite recruits. So if you get enough of the right ones in your class, other ones come with them, right? So A and M's done a phenomenal job, but I, it's it's where. It's like the Texas thing. You could look at it a couple different ways. You could, like, you could look at it and be like, "Well, we should be, you know, these these three star guys that are going to Baylor and TCU and stuff. We should be getting more of those guys." You could you could have that argument that they need to do a better job evaluating the guys that are not chasing not stars. Argument. Well, I mean, I well, think they're being out evaluated see, by but, those schools. See, but if Texas it, gets those guys, then those guys become top top two hundred yeah. recruits, right? Like that's kind of how the game works a little bit. But you, you can make that argument that they need to they need to get tougher kids and they need to get these three star four star kids that are super motivated but not as highly ranked or whatever. You could do that. But I think certainly Texas fans care about recruiting better than A&M and better than Oklahoma, and they care about not letting these five-star kids go to Alabama and Ohio State and all those schools. And that's where I just like, okay, so it, certainly the, the the product on the field right now is not helping you a ton, or, or, or at least that's – you know, that's not the reason they're coming right now. There's a, there's another class of kids coming saying, we're going to come turn Texas around. And there's been a lot of those here over this last decade. So what, like what, what's the thing that maybe, maybe it is an infusion of money that you need right now to kind of get you over the hump because certainly the SEC thing is going to help. They have brand new facilities, which always helps. Um, but like, and they, they're, they're having, they're going to have this really fun offensive identity as long as Sark is there. But like, I don't. I, Can I simplify this? How do you how do you get them to not go to A and M? They like, need more I, success I, on the field. I know we can talk about NIL, and that's sure. a huge deal. But they are not winning. Ari always writes this all the time in his mailbag. Kids want to win championships, but more importantly, they want to go to the NFL. They are not sending guys to the NFL. We're, we're working on Ari's not really working. Ari's in the in the in the in the background on this. We're uh, a, a program ranking where we're Bill Landis and I are. We kind of okay. came up with this formula. On the field success, recruiting NFL draft picks, and I'm looking at my chart right now. We have this about NFL draft. Like TCU ha- will be getting more draft points than Texas over the last eight years. Like sure. it's more recent. Well, oh, when you compare it to Alabama and Ohio State, I think it's like a third of it. Oh yeah, and and it will, it's absurd. I, I'm I, I knew this, but when I was looking at the data yesterday, I just shocked how few draft picks, first round picks, are coming out of Texas. And so when mm-hmm. when Georgia's recruiting against Texas, when all these schools are recruiting. They want to win. They're not winning at a high level. They want to go to the NFL. They're not sending players to a high level. Now it's as Jay Billis always says about John Calipari. He's like he doesn't. 
he doesn't develop NBA draft picks. He recruits NBA draft picks. So it's obviously they're not recruiting a high enough level to send guys to the NFL, but guys want to go to places where there, there are places so that are recruiting the, at a lower level than them that are, are producing more draft picks than them. Right, like but, TCU. By, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but by the way, I'll mention, so there's a player you guys mentioned at the start of this podcast, Harold Perkins, and I remember, yeah. um, you know, I, I believe Texas got him in uh, for a visit this, this season for the Kansas game, right? And... <laughs> I, I remember seeing this. I think someone shared it on Twitter, but there was like an Instagram live, you know, uh, you know, stories or whatever of of the kid watching, uh, watching Kansas come back and beat Texas, and he was just in the stands laughing his ass off. Right, like Texas needs to just be less embarrassing too. Right, like you need to like it, it, look at a And I mean, they're they're eight and four, and you wouldn't say this was an incredible year, but at least kids are buying that it's going in the right direction. Like Texas at least needs to get like a steadiness going. Where they are a seven, eight, nine win kind of program on a consistent basis, because it's just been roller coaster up and down all the time. And and if, when a kid comes and visits and, and and watches Kansas beat you in your your own place, like why would he come to Texas? Like of course. I'm gonna just simplify this, and there's a lot of different ways to look. A and M is just cooler, right now. I don't know why or how that happened, but they're just cooler in the eyes of the recruits. Uh, and that's the most important thing. It's like so funny to me. I've been to College Station a few times. My fiance grew up in Las Vegas, and um, it's so how'd funny that to me. How, how, yeah, no, this is how, so funny. How many kids from Las Vegas? She wanted, She got. She got into Texas. She wanted to go to Texas, and she visited Texas. <laughs> that's and their fell problem. They Texas. can't get. They couldn't get Brit. No, I mean, but here's what got, happened. They got though. Here's what happened. See, though. but Brit. Brit seems like an Austin girl, not a College Station girl. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that happen? <laughs> she went to Texas A and M site unseen because of a scholarship situation. No, okay. So, so, like she was, so it, it comes she back to my point. It, it comes down to money. Right? Yeah, no, I know. But the funniest thing to me about that is, and you know, and I don't know if this is going to open up a Pandora's box that needs the podcast. I didn't you know get her. But she wanted to leave state. She ended up going to A and M because she had a better scholarship. Her intention was to go to A and M for a semester and then transfer back to UT because that's where she wanted to go. And a Las Vegas girl who, like, grew up working at Caesars Palace pool, like, going to college at College Station, it makes no sense. And, like, everybody to this day, like, all of her friends are like, this person does not, like, fit in here. And, like, sometimes I wonder about, like, when you think about the types of athletes that, that A&M is recruiting out of Philadelphia and out, like, they're all Brits. Like, how did Texas A&M's culture and, like, the entire version of what College Station is as, like, a place doesn't fit like what you would expect from young predominantly black athletes who are just going to the school, which I think is a very interesting way of, you know, the, the brilliance of what Aggie land has become is like that. They've still appealed to people that don't. And now Britt thinks that Texas A&M is the greatest thing that's ever happened to her. And like, is one of those weird Aggies, you're, you're you know not, what I mean? Well, look, you're not look, the greatest I, thing that's ever happened to her. No, no, I, I, I think <laughs> I'm a detriment. Um, but like, I, I will the, say it one day and there's, there's, there's all sorts. I mean, you, you can go down a lot of different, directions you could talk about location and the difference between um the the big city versus um you know more of the country setting you could i i think one thing that that just goes without saying is that there is um everyone pulls in the same direction at a&m everyone pulls in the same direction there and that's absolutely not the case of texas that is and and that's we've that's bared out in a lot of ways over the last decade from facilities everything you're right everything about it and a lot of fans 
fans. Texas places, should be cooler, though. I think yeah, it should be cooler. Fans at places that aren't all pulling in oh, the I mean, direction. They look don't, on breweries yeah. alone. Like I would, I would live no, in Austin. Austin's yeah, great. Course, yeah, not just know? brewer, but like the logo. <laughs> the fact no, that it I just says you. Texas, the burnt orange. Like I've the lived in Texas yeah. for a year. Sure. Like, and I don't know if Dallas is just. A, I mean, there's a lot of Aggies here too. But, like, Texas school. should be the prominent, like, just based on what it is. And, like, I got into trouble last year with a bunch of Texas A&M people. One of Britt's uh, closest friend's husbands, like, hated me, like, legitimately didn't want to talk to me for a month in real life because he was mad that on I said on a podcast they shouldn't make the playoff. Like, and I understand that, like, Aggie people are very, very passionate about their football. Um, but when you think about who they're recruiting and where they're recruiting from, Texas makes more sense on the surface. So the fact that A&M has been able to lap them, um, I think, is a testament to the functionality of just that program. And I don't know if it's coach or administration or where you go to fix it, but Texas seems to me to be the the kid that had all the potential in the world and then decided not to study and flunked out of college. You know what I mean? Like a guy wasted potential. And I'm just like sitting here waiting for a program that recruits perennial top five classes to be good. Like, I mean, not, I'm not even saying win a national championship. Just but be the good. Texas, the, the Texas recruiting thing in, in my, I've been following this since I, I started covering it back in 2012. Like the Texas recruiting thing is, is post Mac to me has always seemed like it's been like this, like get rich quick scheme where it's like, okay, we're going to bring in this really big, big class or two classes and then as soon as those guys are juniors and seniors, we're going to be really, really good. And that's when we should have a top 10 team and win the Big 12 and all that kind of stuff, right? And then as soon as that doesn't come true, you fire the coach and you hire the next one, and right? Do it again. So, like, yeah. how, do you, so how do you build something how, – how do you build, like, a 10-year kind of program at a place where, you know, it, it is – like, it's – and you know, Ari, like, part of the reason Tom Herman lost his job is because people felt like recruiting – was was slipping, you know, in in 2020, right? So it's like I, I they're like their expectation is you're recruiting at a super super high level, and that those recruits that come in are all studs and they start right away, and they when, when they're veterans, then you're winning a national championship and stuff. And then if when that doesn't happen, then you burn it all down. And so it's like there's got you got to figure out a more sustainable model where you're actually building an eight nine ten win kind of program, as opposed to just being totally boomer bust yeah all right ari i know you got to run soon can you stick around for the trivia question of course yeah my parents are are just landed at the airport and i'm gonna stick around they're gonna wait you live close to the airport. i live close to the airport uh but anyway airport you're my priority max now if you were doing a podcast with landis you could take off (laughs) okay so the trivia question is uh, geared towards our special guest this week max name the 10 highest you don't need to get them in order the 10 highest rated Nebraska signees in the modern recruiting era. <laughs> 2002 Since, on. 2002 on. The 10 highest rated signees. Oh, gosh. These these um, these questions are really hard, dude, so don't don't beat yourself up over it. Yeah, Ari never gets them. I never get them right, ever. Okay, so I went to high school with one of them, Baker Steincooler. Number three. Number three. Um, Marlon, Marlon Lucky. Number one. Number one. Five star. Um, five star. Yep. Um, oh, my gosh. I think I could only get two if I tried. Yeah, we did this for Staples <laughs> in Florida and a lot more household do? names. Not, 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 I think he ended up getting seven of ten. The problem was that Florida had a seven. thousand five star prospects and right. he just didn't get the order right. Right. Yeah, that was basically yeah. it. So, yeah. Um, like some of these names don't even. I, they're not familiar. I th- okay, you guys have mentioned one of them on the podcast today. 
Yeah, that's oh, the Wondell one Robinson. Guessed. No, 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 no. Oh. It's um, it's the hi- former high school teammate of Bill Landis's favorite human. Bill Landis's favorite human is Tate Martell. Right. Oh, Tajon Lindsay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Tajon Lindsay. Number uh, six. Number six. Okay. Um, this is embarrassing. Okay. No, there's it, one really one, obvious one, of them, one. One of them is, as they say, he's playing on Sundays right now. Sue. No. Yes. Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. he ended up being there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan, Duncan Sue ended four. up being there. Yeah. yeah. The, the, right. the, and that's it for me. I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to tell you. <laughs> Some of these other names, the names ring a bell to me, but I don't. Tell me if you're throwing the think, towel. I don't think. I don't think Rex Burkhead was that high, was he? No. No. Um, Where's he from, by the way? He's from Plano, Texas. Okay. Yeah. What a, um, can, am I helping or am I not? You, yeah, I, yeah sure, go ahead. Sure. Uh, go ahead. Um, that really, really good offensive tackle from Lawrence, Kansas, they got in the 2020 class. What was that? Turner Corcoran. Turner yes. Corcoran. Is he one? Yes. Is he on there? Number yeah. seven. Is Tyler Moore on there? He is not. Okay, oh, he was he was a high one. Um, man, you're missing number two. I'm missing number two. A running back. A running back. Um, Aaron two, Green. Yes. Aaron Green. Yeah, give me some positions. Give me some positions, and I can. Okay. I think I can knock this out. Okay, we got one more running back at number ten from 2002. So I don't. I don't remember him. Okay. Is Thomas Fedone on there, or is he a no. little bit too low? Fedoni. He, Fedoni. He, he probably was close. Yeah. He's close, but no. No. David and Horn Teddy, is the running Teddy back. Prohaska, David Horn. Yeah, classic from Omaha. Yeah. D- Teddy Prohaska is not on there, right? No. He, I think rivals had him high, but I don't think the. Okay, Prohaska you got a cornerback from 04, an offensive tackle from 04, and a linebacker from 05. Dude, I was in high school. Um, I can't Courtney Grixby? Yes. Yeah. That's Courtney from Grixby. 04. Yeah. Okay. What was the other positions? Uh, Offensive tackle and linebacker. From 0405? Yeah. Um okay. Oh, these are yeah, those are those are Callahan classes. Uh I don't I don't know who who okay. who, who is I, it? Lyden 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 Murtha, yep. And then yep. Philip Dillard. Philip <laughs> Dillard, okay. Yep. Uh huh. So that's it. They pulled him out of Oklahoma. That's it? Yeah, that's ten right there. They had three in pre if you go to the two four seven team page where they list all their they had three that were pre two thousand and two. See, and this is where uh, like, you know, I, I can I, I trust me, I store a lot of pointless recruiting yeah. minutiae in my head. But when I when I'm looking at the, like the commitment pages, I never really scroll through that. T- it's always interesting, but I never really I scroll yeah, through yeah, that. T- do that's do you guys like yeah. internalize those at all? Because so, I just I not never really do. no. I do for my trivia questions. They yeah. absolutely okay. are cool when a team that doesn't get good players usually gets one. Yeah. Uh, like like a team will sign a random four star, and you think that's a pretty good get. And you look down, and he's like the fourth highest, the highest rated thing. signee yeah. in the history of the program. <laughs> that's right. Dude, uh, the Arizona yeah. just signed. Uh, a oh, top I thought we were going to get through this. We get through this pod without talking about Arizona. But he's the highest rated recruit in all of all time. You know. Yeah. I just saw this. Um, yeah, I just saw. I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, because you know, this was like kind of the week when the recruiting sites were all doing their final rankings and stuff. I saw um, Lander Barton finished as the highest ranked recruit in Utah history. Yeah, and Clark Phillips is in the top five already, and that was two years ago. Yeah, where was he committed? Who? Uh, Oh. Ohio U, Ohio U, <laughs> my my yeah. favorite football program of all time, and the place I'm getting tattooed. Okay, on my so chest, we got to we got to leave it a second. State but we, University, we didn't get to our mailbag question. I wrote this question down just for for the fun of it. Noah B had a question. What does Michigan need to do 
recruiting wise to be better than Ohio State. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'm going to let you take this one. We'll, we'll throw that in the in the in the mailbag next week. Yeah, yeah. You can answer that with one word or like ten thousand words, whatever, whichever <laughs> yeah. direction you choose. Ari, Ari, um, before you go pick up your parents, do you want to sign us off? Do you want to thank our, our Mitch? Guests? Thank you so much, um, Max, buddy. That was a great show. I appreciate Cle- you coming clearly on. from this podcast. I feel like with each of these topics, like we, we got a lot of untapped potential here. Yeah, like could, yeah. We, we, I, I the feel three like of us could definitely do some. Yeah, uh, get used two, to two, three hour mega pods. Here, regular you know? guest. Yeah, regular I mean, especially over the summer, I feel like we got a lot of interesting discussion in there. But I feel like we also didn't scratch the didn't even go close to how deep we wanted to go. So. I promise you, you're going to be on. Hopefully, a I lot. had a Kansas and question in my in, the, in reserve for me too. In you didn't even oh, need you a did? reserve. We should have known we were going to go 25 minutes on Nebraska. But anyway, Max, <laughs> thank you yeah, so yeah, much for your on. time, man. Uh, you've been crushing it at work. Um, go read the the Cameron Ward story, Mitch. Thanks for being a great host without making fun of me one time. And to all our listeners, thanks so much for continuing to support the podcast. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing how it grows, and and of course having Max on again. So thanks again. Uh, that was Stars Matter. <laughs>